So, what we'll do is we'll talk about we'll talk about some of the other views, but really, there's only one view in my mind that that uh, it keeps the the unity of Genesis. It keeps the flow of the text going, you know, and doesn't depart from it. And and we'll talk about that. So, somebody summarize what we saw last week. What we're talking about at the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5. The genealogy. The genealogy. And what did the genealogy show? That God... Well, no, go ahead. I mean... That the, the seed that God had promised did come forth through Seth. And that Cain's line continued to produce evil. Yes, so we, it showed us the two lines. The line of Cain, the line of Seth. And that's important for us because... The seed of the woman, remember the promise, I'll bring forth a seed, and that seed will crush the serpent's head. Of course, we know that that seed refers to Christ. Uh, the line through which that seed would come is um, the line of Seth and then the line of Cain. So what we're going to see in Genesis 6 is the same It's the same discussion, really, and that's the way I have to take it. Every part of this chapter, or this section of this chapter, is debated and controversial and there's lots of different views about different things within it so pretty much every verse we're going to read is going to have a huge debate surrounding it there's more books written about who the sons of god are in genesis 6 than i mean than you can possibly imagine whole forests have suffered at the hands of people writing about the sons of god so all kind of stuff about that. Um, but what we're basically going to see is that we're going to see the same story that we have left off in chapter 5. And that's, you know, if you've been with us from chapter 3 unto, for chapter 1 unto chapter 5, you saw the story progress. You know, man sinned and corruption came into the world. And instead of fulfilling the image, filling the world with the image of God, he filled the world with corruption, and corruption has grown, and it, sin got worse. Cain murdered his brother, and then sin got worse after that when Lamech was proud and boastful of murder, and we're going to see in this chapter here that sin gets to a fever pitch in the world so that even the line of Seth starts descending into immorality and sin and God decides this is where God says you know what I'm just going to flood the whole thing I'm going to flood the whole thing and start over so it says in verse in verse 1 of chapter 6 it says and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took wives of all that they chose. So right in the beginning, he's continuing with the story after the genealogy in chapter 5 and he tells us that man is multiplying on the earth. We're seeing the growth of sin uh, and corruption is uh, multiplying. Uh, fallen man is not capable of spreading the image of God. Remember that was the command God gave to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted him to spread the image of God over the entire creation. Um, so the question is, before we begin the story, 
Who are these sons of God? Let me read the whole thing. We'll get the whole thing in context and then we'll take it apart. It says, sons of God, in verse 2, saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they told them, they took them, uh, they took them wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth. That word giants is Nephilim. We'll talk about that. Uh, in those days and after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Literally, it says men of name. Uh, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, that's the, that's the entire section. Now, the first question you're going to ask, we need to ask is, who are the sons of God? There are basically three different views as to who the sons of God are. And let me explain to you this something that's very important. There's orthodox people, good and godly scholars on all sides who can believe any of these three positions. It doesn't consign you to a hellfire or anything like that if you take a position other than the one that I'm going to present to you. But let me say also this, that... The only position I believe that is consistent with the text that we have seen so far is that the sons of God are the line of Seth and the daughters of men are the daughters from the line of Cain. But the first, uh, first position is that a lot of people will take it to be angels. Y'all heard that one before? Sons yeah. of God are angels. Yeah. And they are fallen angels that came and took wives among uh, the, the people. Now, there's some, there's some good points that you know may lend itself to that view. Uh, sons of God refers to angels in Job, like three or four times in Job. And uh, Job uh, in Job 32, I'm thinking that's off the top of my head, uh, it talks about the sons of God being the angel, and it describes them as uh, morning stars there in Job, which is also described as angels in Psalm 22. So you have three or four different places in the Old Testament where the term, the phrase sons of God is used of angels. Um, of course, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 talks about the angels that, you know, uh, left their first estate and, you know, you have those kind of things. And the biggest argument for this position that you'll hear is that people say daughters of men uh, is used twice and we take, I take daughters of men to mean two different things in the two different contexts. Let me show you what I mean. Very first verse came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto him. I take that to mean daughters of all mankind. You know, they were born. It's talking about men and women being born, multiplying on the face of the earth. However, the second verse says, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair. The word is good and that they took them for wives. I take that to mean the daughters of the line of Cain. So there are some people that will say, well, now, wait a minute, Jason, that doesn't make sense to put a distinction between verse 1 and verse 2. But I say, yes it does. 
And so anyway, the reason I do that is, let me, let me also say, I've told you this, but if you hold the angel view, more power to you. I mean, we can still have fellowship. We can still, I mean, it's all good. It's not something for us to divide over. Uh, the problem with the view of the angel is that it destroys the context of Genesis. It, we're walking through the line of the seed, all of a, and all of a sudden, bang! Angels are introduced having relations with men that make children, which causes God to flood the earth. I mean, you're, what, what that does is introduce a break in the context. It introduces a break in the storyline that I really don't think is warranted. Because it resumes that storyline right after this when we start talking about Noah and his line. Uh, the second thing is, why would God judge mankind on the earth for the activity of fallen angels? You know, why would... God doesn't destroy the fallen angels, if this is who we're talking about. He destroys mankind. He destroys all men because of their wickedness. So that, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, the third thing usually is that, why, does, why do they call fallen angels the sons of God? I mean, wouldn't they call them something else other than the sons of God? I mean, that's a, uh, a premier title for the angels of God if you're going to use it that way throughout the Old Testament. All of a sudden you're using it for fallen angels that have sinned and left their first estate. That doesn't make sense to me. And then you got Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22 that says, The angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. And here it doesn't just say that the angels came down and had their way. It says that they took wives of those that they chose. So that's one view, the fallen angel view. I can't hold to that view. Lots of people do. There's lots of godly people that do. I can't. So I've never heard of that. You never heard of that? I have. Really? It's a lot of people subscribe, subscribe to that. So that, that surprises me. <clears throat> that is probably going to be, when you ask most people, that's going to be the view that most of the people will have heard of and will say, this is what this means. Uh, I can't hold to that. I'm sorry. My main reason is it blows the context completely up. I mean, all of a sudden, there's a break introduced in the story that we have no idea why, and it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's like Moses is sitting there writing this out, and all of a sudden, he introduces something for no rhyme or reason, and then goes back to the storyline of the lines of the sea. So, it, that really is the, the clincher for me. The other view that I won't subscribe to, I'm just giving you these so you'll know. The other view that I won't subscribe to is the one that is tyrants or rulers. And what they did was they, they uh, unjust judges. They, they took a bunch of women for, you know, to make a harem and they started having a bunch of kids. And that, that allowed wickedness to grow on the earth. Um, it, it assumes a lot from what's in the text and nowhere are judges called the sons of God. So I don't ascribe to that either. What you see here is you've got the godly line. Remember the line of Seth? That was a godly line, and it, they were characterized by faith in God. They were trusting in the name of God. They were trusting in the word of God. They were trusting in what God would do. And then you have the other line, the line of Cain. They were trying to do things in their own power, in their own works. They were building cities. They were, 
they were, uh, you know, doing all these things. And so God promised that the line that Jesus Christ would come through would be this godly line. It would be Abraham, Seth, uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all the way down through until the true seed, the true Messiah, God in flesh, came in Jesus Christ. And so I see this as the, the Satan's attempt to denigrate the lines, to intermingle the lines. What happened was the line of Seth began to see the, that the daughters of men were good and they took wives among them and they started intermarrying, intermarrying so that the lines are beginning to get confused. So now instead of, you saw the line of Cain in chapter 3, chapter 4, uh, and chapter 5, how the line of Cain just descended further and further into sin, further and further into their own independence and their own rebellion against God. And then you saw the line of Seth who had Enoch who walked with God and was taken and you had Noah who uh, also is going to be said walked with God and trust in the Lord it said men began to call upon the name of the Lord here and so what you see here is even now the wickedness of mankind where it says in this passage <coughs> that the, the intentions of his heart was evil all the time, wicked all the time, every thought of his heart was wicked you see the, the sin problem of the world gets so bad, corruption become so bad in the world that it starts to infect even this line of Seth that is supposed to be the line that God preserves for His promised Messiah to come through. Everybody see that? Mm -hmm. Any questions? Comments? Douglas? When you started down this, this thing and uh, being the sons of God, didn't, didn't Jesus, when He was talking to the Jewish rulers, you know, Pharisees or whatever, at one point they were talking about him saying he was the son of God and he said they called themselves sons of God. Yeah, he quoted Psalm 82. Right. So isn't this Jesus' reference as sons of God through this line of set? Is that what Jesus was referencing? No, no. Uh, the, the Psalm 82 is a... I don't want to say sarcastic, but he, the judges in the Old Testament are sometimes called Elohim, which means it means God, but they're called like little g gods as though they are because they're God's representatives to do justice on earth and to, to do those things. And so Jesus quotes Psalm 82 saying, why do you, you know, isn't it written in the law that they are called gods? Why do you balk at me when I say I'm the son of God? He was referring to himself as deity and he was showing that they, the unjust judges, were the unjust judges of Psalm 82. Does that make sense? He wasn't saying you are gods. He was... I in context of the, I was thinking of it, I was thinking of it in context of the, the Jewish people thinking there, you know, their understanding. Yes, I see. Yeah. I see. In Deuteronomy fourteen one, I believe. Uh, they are called, uh, it talks about the, the chosen people of God being the children of God, but the phrase is sons of God. So yes, through in, in the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy, it talks about Israel being the sons of God. And so I take that, I would take that to mean the same as it says here. When it says sons of God, it's a reference to that godly line. Those who trust God by faith. The line of Seth, who's characterized by faith in God, trusting in God, as opposed to the line of Cain, who is rebellious, independent of God, does their own thing. Make sense? 
Okay. Anybody else? Okay. So what you see here is that sin has gotten so bad on the earth. It has grown and festered and it's spread so bad that it is starting to infect this line. And it infects them by intermarriage. In Exodus, you can see, Exodus and in Deuteronomy, Moses is, the people of Moses are forbidden to marry the Canaanites and the people that surround them. They're only to marry within uh, the nation of Israel. And they're forbidden, they're forbidden to take uh, wives. And every time that they do, bad happens. You know, if you look at... Um, Balaam, Balaam, uh, the prophet Balaam, who Balak tried to get him to uh, curse the people of Israel. Y'all know that story where Balak, the king, sent for this prophet Balaam to curse the people of Israel as they were marching through his land. And God would not let Balaam curse the people. So Balaam came up with this idea. Well, just send your women down there and let them intermarry and they would dilute the people of Israel. And that's exactly what happened. And, of course, God punished them for it. So what you see here is Satan hit the the serpent, his attempt not to destroy the people of God, which he knows he can't do, but to to send, I won't say spies, but to, to, to dilute them, to intermingle these people, these non-believers with them to lead them astray. And you see that, you see that over and over again. He's trying to destroy the line that this promised seed is going to come through. And you're going to see that over and over again in the Bible. That's what happened in Egypt when, when all the babies were killed, when they were trying to, trying to find Moses. That was Satan's plan to destroy that line. I just want to wipe it out so the true Messiah can't come from that line. You see the same thing in Bethlehem where all the, all the babies that were you know two years and under or whatever it was killed, destroyed so that they could get rid of the Messiah. You see it over and over again. He wants to get he wants to get the line done away with the line of uh, the line that the Messiah is going to come through. Now, let me say this before we move on. It's possible there's some people that mix a few of these views. Okay, I know this is not really what you expected, but this is a really difficult section. It's possible to mix some of the views. There are some people that would say that um, yes, it's the the sons of God or the line of Seth. The daughters of men are the line of Cain, but there are evil forces behind the daughters of men that are uh, leading them to do these things. And so the sons of God are, the, we're talking about the mixture of the lines, but the sons of God are really these fallen angels that are, you know, uh, influencing them or whatever. So you'll have all kind of views. Uh, and if you subscribe to that or not, it's fine with me. <clears throat> But we have to make sure we understand. This is one of the big things about interpreting Scripture. You don't just pop open the thing, read a verse, and then there you go. You start where the author starts, and you follow his argument. You follow his story. When you go get a book, no matter what kind of book it is, it's not, it's not inspired, it's not holy, it's not you know, the infallible Word of God like this is, but it's still given to us in our language. It's given to us using words and sentences, and you don't just pop open a novel or something and read, start reading it in the middle. You start with where the author starts, and you work your way through, and you let him define his terms, you let him define the storyline, you let him define the things that are, that are relevant to the picture, and that's what we're doing when we take this chapter 6 as the two lines. Okay? We've been talking about the line of Cain, the line of Seth, all the way up until now, and so we're not going to depart from that just because 
uh, we might hold some kind of view about angels infecting women or something like that. Everybody got me? Mm -hmm. All right. Am I putting you to sleep? Some of y'all was like, yeah. All right. Notice the similarity between their sin, the sons of God's sin, and Eve's sin. Remember what Eve, her sin was? She saw that the fruit was good. The word good is tov. It's the same word here, translated fair. The sons of God saw that the women were good, were fair. And Eve, <clears throat> Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. And what she do? She took it and she ate. And here the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were good. And they took wives for, for you know, who, whoever, whomever they chose. And God sees this happening, this intermixing of the lines. You know, he's got the line of his people that the Messiah is going to come through. And it's almost like he slaps himself in the forehead and says, you know what? The Spirit of God is not going to strive with man forever. And that's what he says in verse 3. He says, the, he says uh, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Why? For that he also is flesh. He's saying he is flesh and just cannot help being corrupt. He is corrupted from the inside and there's, there's really nothing he can do about it. And that's why we're going to see at the end of this section where Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the only remedy for the, for the flesh that we find ourselves in, for the corruption that we find ourselves in, is God's grace given through faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, uh, he says they're flesh and he's not going to strive with them. Now... It's a strange word. I told you every single one of these verses that we're going to read in this section is kind of controversial. This is the only time in the Hebrew Bible that this word is used. <clears throat> so it's hard to define exactly. But it means to strive with or contend with or to remain with, something like that. Uh, I take it as a picture of God's Spirit is not always going to be contending with mankind as He is trying to get to sin. Right now, of course, we know because the Holy Spirit lives in those of us who have been born again, there's still a war that goes on, right? The Holy Spirit is contending with the flesh. It's warring with the flesh. It's, it's uh, fighting, busting heads every day, trying to, trying to lead you into the path of godliness, and the flesh wants to lead you the other way. And of course, we know that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. But what's going on here is God is restraining mankind's evil, and He's saying here that there's going to come a day, and we're going to see the day when the flood takes over, that God pulls back His Spirit, and it's like Romans 1. He turns them over to the depraved mind. They turns them over to a reprobate mind. He lets them do exactly what they want to do. He gives them exactly what they want. He, when, uh, when God pulls His Spirit back, His restraining power, His, uh, his uh, Spirit that wars against sin, mankind is just left. It says in Romans 1, their foolish heart was darkened. And they're just left to do whatever it is that their heart desires to do. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that when we read the part about every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time, continually. When God pulls back his restraint over sin, mankind goes absolutely berserk and does exactly what he wants to do and his foolish heart is darkened. Y'all with me? Because he's flesh. Um, the next verse, he says, y'all are all quiet. He says, uh, 
my spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, there's controversy about this too. I told you, just about every verse, there's, there's debate over what these verses mean. That's why I, I'm not looking, I wasn't looking forward to getting into all this because there's so much. It could mean that God is going to shorten man's lifespan. From now on, it's just going to be 120 years. But there's a problem with that because you see in Genesis 11, we're going to see another genealogy of the, of the Shemites. The, uh, and a lot of them lived over 120 years. Abraham lived 175 years. There's, a lot of people lived over that time period. Um, I think what he's saying is here in this point, Wickedness is abounding. The lines are getting mixed up between intermarriage. God is giving them a deadline. He's giving them, you know what? I'm going to strive with man, say it this way, for another 120 years, and then I'm going to, I'm going to flood the place. If man does not repent, if they do not turn to God, if they do not turn to me and by grace through faith, I'm going to destroy them in judgment. And he gives them a time frame. And after this, we're going to see Noah. He gives Noah the, the uh, command to build the ark and all those kind of things. He gives them a time frame. And through this time, you see the Apostle Peter writes that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What did Noah do all the time that he was preaching the ark? Did Noah just say, I'm building me an ark and we're going to live. Everybody's going to die? No, he said. No, he was calling them to repent. He was calling them, look, God is going to flood the earth. God is going to come in judgment. You have got to turn to God. You've got to turn to Him. He was giving them. He, God gave them so time. God gave them time to repent. God gave them the message through which they could repent. He gave Noah as a preacher of righteousness. And Noah told the people what, you know, God is going to judge this earth. And you need to turn to Him. He was giving them them uh, the message of God. So it wasn't like God just looked down one day and said, hey, you know what? Y'all mess it all up. There's a flood. You know? He gave them time to repent. He gave them an opportunity to turn to Him. He gave them a preacher of righteousness to call them to repentance. God gave them this period of time. And you see that today as well. I mean, like it or not, we are in that period of time. We are in the period of time where there is judgment coming and we are to be the Noah. We are to call people and say, look, turn to God, repent of your sin, trust in Jesus. There's a judgment coming and too often you see it today just like you did back then. What do people do? They scoff. They say, you know what? The world's going to keep on turning like it always has. We're never going to have, we're not, you know, you're just, uh, woe is me giving us doom prophecies and blah, blah, blah. When the reality is those people probably said the same thing until it started raining. And people today, without outside of the grace of God, they're going to say the same thing as well until this time it'll be fire and the coming of the Son of Man and it'll be it'll be judgment. So he, we're in the same position as they. They we have preachers of righteousness that preach righteousness and the gospel and what we're supposed to do to turn to Christ, to turn to Him in repentance and faith. And Noah was that man in his day. Turn to uh, turn to God and you know. Get on the boat. And so Didn't I think... it take Noah about 100 years to build the ark? I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. We're going to look at... There's going to be a lot of time... Uh, explanations in the text. So, so say it that way. You know, it, it rained... For instance, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. But Noah actually spent a year in the ark. Yeah. 
You know, it wasn't it wasn't 40 days and 40 nights in the ark. He actually spent a year in the ark. So we'll, we'll see that when we get to it. And so I think that's what's being said here. And in verse 4 and 5, uh, the Nephilim are, it says, There were giants in the earth and those days and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. The same became mighty men, which were men of old, men of renown, literally men of name. Now, whoever you think these giants are, they perished in the flood. Okay, uh, Nephilim is the, it's only used one other time, and it's used when the spies went to judge the land, you know, to check out the land that they were going into, and they came back and they say we saw Nephilim in the land, and we were as grasshoppers to them, and that's where that's where you get the idea of giants. Let me tell you what they are not. I mean. They are not the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. Notice what the text says. You've got to go with what it says and forget the traditions that, you've, that we've all been brought up. The only thing they're used for in verse 4 is to tell us the times of which these things are going on. It says there were giants in the earth in those days. And that is the setting. And then it says, and also after that... When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. The same became the children of the sons of God and the daughters of men are the mighty men of old, the men of renown, the men of name. Have you, why is it important that we understand that they're called the men of name? You know, it means men of renown. That's what it means. But literally it says the men of name. Is the word name been important to us in any way, shape or form up in Genesis up until now? Like last week? Yeah. None of y'all remember? Remember the line of Cain? Cain built a city. What did he do? He named it after his son. He was. It's all about the name of mankind. You're going to see it in Genesis 11. They want to build a tower to heaven. Why? So they can make a name for themselves. So they. It's all about mankind's independence and his rebellion. And what did the sons of Seth start doing? They started calling. Upon they the started Lord. calling upon the name of the Lord, and so I am of. I'm thinking that when it says these men were men of name, they were men of renown. They were. It's talking about how the the growth of wickedness, the growth of rebellion, the growth of independence. Uh, when when the lines of Seth and the line of Cain starts getting mixed, and they start being tempted by the daughters of men to come and and, and be part. Of us and they start intermingling with each other what that what that produces is more and more wickedness it produces more and more children who are not of faith in God who do not call upon the name of the Lord who simply are added to the roles of all these rebellious people all these independent people all the way to the point where in verse 5 it says after these things were happening God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time continually did you notice that the adverbs in there or the, yeah. is that an adverb yes. was oh, yeah it's adverbs yes. or i don't know what it is anyway <laughs> he says the the imagination it says every Wickedness of man was great. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil 
continually, all the time. It wasn't just like, well, you know, man is, you know, man is, he's pretty good. He's just messing up here and there. And, you know, he ain't got it all right. And he's still working it out and all these kind of things. It was utter and total wickedness. It was, we're going to see in a moment uh, later on, where it says there was violence in the earth. Everything was, it was violence in the earth. And it was just, it was just unbridled rebellion and wickedness against God. And just defying the, the creator that created them. They wanted independence. They didn't want anything to do with God. Anything to, uh, they didn't want to worship him. They didn't want to praise him. They didn't want to obey him. They didn't want to do anything. It says Every imagination of the heart, it wasn't just the outward acts, it was the heart was turned away from God all the time. Now a lot of people read this verse and they say, well that was back then and God wiped all them out. That's not the way it is today. Is that true? Are we that way? Yes. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Without the Holy Spirit, we are exactly that way. Now, I'm not saying that you go out and rob banks and you're a serial killer and you just do all this debauchery and horrid things. Uh, for the most part, we try to be civil. We try to live socially acceptable lives. We try to go to work and go, you know, go home and try to do good and all that kind of stuff. But we don't want God. We don't want anything to do with God. We rebel against Him. We want independence from Him. We want to do what makes us happy. We want to do whatever we want to do. That is the essence of the kind of heart that he is talking about here. It's not saying that they never did anything good. You know, I'm sure fathers back then did good to their children. I'm sure wives back then did good to their husbands and people did good to their their family members. I'm sure good things were going on, but every intention of their heart was rebellious to God every moment of the day. It says only evil continually all the time. And so God sees this because of this mixing. Now, instead of having the line of Seth, which called upon the name of the Lord, and the line of Cain, which rebelled and did whatever they was right in their own eyes, now you have the lines mixing together so that the whole world is corrupt. The whole there's there's a precious few people who are still trusting in God. In fact, we're going to come down to the point here momentarily in the in this this between this chapter and the ninth chapter that you're only going to have eight of them. Eight people are going to survive the judgment, survive the flood, and that's going to be Noah and his family. And so we're going to see we see that. Because of this, because of all that's going on, wickedness has increased in the earth so that God is looking down and even his, even his line that the Messiah is supposed to come through is getting corrupted. And so what you're going to see is God is going to keep his promise. He is going to be just and he's going to bring judgment on all those who rebel against him. But he's also going to give grace to Noah and he's going to continue the line of the seed that is going to crush the head of the serpent through Noah and his family. Y'all with me? Everybody good? We got it? Okay. So it says, verse 6, they were only evil all the time, and it says, and it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. What does that mean? It repented the Lord? Yeah, well, he was sorry that he made him. Does that mean uh, God... Needed to repent like we need to repent? No. No. no he, he was just disappointed. Yeah, it, it's a it's it's called it's called anthropomorphic language if you care, but it's ascribing it's ascri- ascribing human um, 
uh, attitudes, emotions to God so that we can understand what he was what he was feeling. He was grieved at his heart. He was sorry. He was saddened by the rebellion of man, by the wickedness, by the, you know, God is a just and holy God. And of course, I mean, what would be the result? He's grieved by the sin that he sees, by the rebellion that he sees. It grieved him in his heart that man was like this. And the Lord makes a declaration in verse 7 that we're going to be talking about for the next three chapters. He says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping things, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him. God makes a declaration. You know what? They're all corrupt. They're all rebellious. They're all independent. I'm going to destroy the entirety of them. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to judge them all. God was right to do so. That's something you'll always hear. People that deny the Bible or want to get over on you when they argue, they'll say, how could a mean old God destroy all them people in the flood? God was right to do so. He was right to judge sin. He was right to punish rebellion. He gives a sweeping, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to destroy them all. And you're thinking, if, if everything stopped right here and Moses' pencil lead broke and it, nothing else was written after this, you'd be thinking, that's a horrible story. That's terrible. But the very next thing you see is the hope of that line given. The hope that there is a promise that's going to be fulfilled that the seed of the woman will bring forth destruction to the serpent. He will crush the head of the serpent. It says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. And you're going to see a description of Noah. Let me just read it in verse 9. It says, these are the generations of Noah. This is, begins a new section. Noah was a just man, that means a righteous man, and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. But who was the last guy we talked about walked with God? Adam. Adam and Enoch. 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 Yes. Yeah. Noah is described in the same terms as the righteous Enoch who was taken, you know, instead of died. But was he perfect? It says he was perfect in the generation. That means he was sinless? No, his faith made him. That's right. When it, we talked, we've talked about he was he had integrity in that he trusted in God, and it says that he found grace. He wasn't. It was grace that caused Noah to be just and perfect in his generation and to walk with God. It was not Noah was better than everybody else and he just did something wonderful and he was a great guy. So God looked down and he said, you know what? That Noah has really got it on the ball. He's not doing anything wrong. He's perfect and hadn't broken my law any. So I'm going to reward him by letting him live. No, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and it was that powerful <laughs> grace that changed Noah's heart and caused him to walk with God. We're going to see that over and over again. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Doug, you have a question? Comment? I was just, I was just thinking about uh, Noah being faithful to God during those times of uh, all the people got turned away from Yeah. I, we're going to talk about the flood. We're going to end right here for, for today. We're going to talk about the flood.